Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, and for those of you uh, who tuned in live, you probably went to mfgtalkradio.com, where we broadcast from. Welcome to our listeners. We've got a fun show and an exciting show today. We have two guests on who are going to join us and talk about what's happening with the economy, both from a most recent month and, and at the moment uh, perspective and at the moment and into the future perspective. So that'll be kind of fun to do. Lou, how are you today? I'm doing terrific. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, today's show, uh, taking a look at what was, what is, and what will be. So uh, why don't you give a a shout to our guests, and uh, let's get the show rolling. Now, you're going to uh, share with us a little postscript from last week's show and kind of some of the shows coming up. Sure thing. And also, and also a news brief, I guess. We've got some good news, bad news. Um, the postscript from uh, our last show was that uh, we introduced uh, 3D uh, technology uh, to our listenership. Uh, it was a primer uh, show talking about uh, uh, 3D technology, and we had two professors from Manhattan College uh, getting into some of the nitty-gritty high-tech uh, uh, details and facts about the technology. And uh, actually, we're going to have a part two of that show on uh, March 17th, where we will have uh, guests who are actually in the industry, um, uh, 3D equipment manufacturers and uh perhaps a uh, manufacturer who is actually using 3D uh, equipment today. So that should be an interesting uh, follow-up to the show. Uh, Regarding news, it seems to be um, uh, high on the hit parade for us over the last several months, and we've got the good news and the bad news about the L.A. port situation. Uh, It seems as though we're told that uh, the uh, contracts have been resolved and they've agreed to go back to work. Unfortunately, no one signed anything yet, and uh, there is no one who is talking about what's in the contract. But I do have a good news part. There is one particular uh, mainstream news media who finally reported on this two nights ago after nine months of doing nothing. They're one of those stations that talk about fair and balanced news. I don't want to mention their name. We all know who they are, but they did finally talk about it, and uh, they said, wow, it's over. So um, hopefully uh, they will be able to uh, sign the contract. We do know the union is back to work. Uh, Hopefully they are beginning to clear the actual port uh, on the ground so that the 58 ships that are holding 400,000 containers can finally unload and uh, not continue to negatively impact our economy. But I'm going to leave that up to our two guests to talk about. So, Tim, why don't you do the intros? Well, we're going to be hearing from Brad Holcomb, who's committee chair with the ISM's Report on Business. He's with us every month, uh, the first show of the month, talking about the latest uh, purchasing manager index number, which you often hear on the lamestream media. Uh, they give it a quick sound bite, uh, and then they don't go into it a great deal. We like to go into it in depth on Manufacturing Talk Radio because it is incredibly important for our manufacturing base to hear the details behind that report. And then we're going to be joined by Dr. Chris Keel, who will also give us a, a kind of a, a futurist point of view and what's happening in the economy, not just the U.S., but around the world. He brings a touch of humor to his presentation. Uh, Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, great to have you on the show again. And, Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. And you just have to understand that that news media, they thought it was port wine. That's what the whole issue was. So they, they just got confused. So. <laughs> That's because they drink too much of it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Fortified, you know. 
<laughs> so, Brad, give us a uh, a buildup of what the number is. I know it's a roll-up number. It's above 50. It's still an expansion number. The report looks good. Right. So give our listeners what's happening with the uh, PMI. Yes, for the month of February, the PMI is at 52.9. That's down, I think, six-tenths of a percentage point from January, but still in positive territory. And in particular, anything above 50 means that the current month is doing better than the previous month, which is the case for February. We're doing better than January. So, that's the first uh, thing that we need to, to understand about the numbers. Uh, the fact that it's down six-tenths of a percent uh, is interesting, but not the most important aspect. Uh, all five of the supporting indexes that we talk about each month, new orders, production, employment, supplier deliveries, and inventories, are also nicely above 50, and that's a, a great balanced report. So. We continue in a mode of moderate growth, I think to some degree still trying to find our legs for the year. Uh, but as you've mentioned, and we'll talk much more about this West Coast port situation has been on everyone in manufacturing's mind, and the comments that I post this time in the report are just replete with those comments. It's become more than just a headline, more than just a story certainly a problem for manufacturing. We certainly have been talking about it since, uh, oh gosh, back in November, and uh, it began squeaking its way into some local Southern California news out in December, and now it's really uh, starting to, to create some pain, and I don't think it's going to be resolved anytime soon, although the contract is uh, settled. Uh, they haven't voted on it yet, but what really is going to be the problem is getting all the containers that are stacked up at the port out of the port. Uh, Brad, what were some of the comments that your uh, respondents shared with ISM about that report, that uh, port issue? Well, as I mentioned, uh, the, the list of, I, I called out 10 verbatim comments from our manufacturing panel across the breadth of manufacturing, and I think you know, three-quarters of them talk about the West Coast port issue in, uh, in one sense or another. Uh, so, for example, from uh, miscellaneous manufacturing, we have the West Coast port congestion and work slowdown by the union is hurting our imports and exports, getting worse by the week. Um, another one from uh, transportation equipment. Uh, major concern for us across the board in the ongoing situation with the West Coast ports. Air freight and overtime have been required to cover for products waiting to be offloaded at the port. So those are representative of, of the, the sentiment and the reality of what uh, this all means for manufacturing. And, Chris, uh, you've uh, kind of watched the West Coast port situation. Uh, do, and we have kind of a friendly wager uh, uh, going on with some folks uh, in terms of whether or not the GDP is going to take a hit because of this. Do you anticipate the GDP will be uh, slightly downward because of the West Coast port situation? Maybe affected, but probably slightly. It was affected more dramatically back in 2002 uh, when you had – almost $10 billion worth of, of lost opportunity or basically port strike-related impact, and that affected the economy about, about a half a point. I think the consensus view right now is that you may see a quarter-point reaction, maybe a little less than that. It depends on how fast they can clear the congestion. And, you know, to your point earlier about not really knowing quite the details of this, one of the things that was damaging from the previous port strike is that even when people went back to work, they weren't terribly enthusiastic about it. And it took months before both sides kind of cooled down and, and there weren't reprisals and reactions by the unions. I mean, unless this is an absolutely gold-plated contract that catches everybody off guard and makes everybody ecstatic, there's still going to be a lot of resentment, and that's going to manifest itself in not the most efficient use of port facilities. So I think we're going to see an extended reaction to this, not only in terms of 
what has happened before, but what goes on from here. The other interesting discussion, and I think Brad will probably be seeing some more of this in PMIs to come, are shifting away from the West Coast ports or trying to and getting into the Gulf ports and the East Coast ports as an alternative. There's always an interest in doing that, but now there's even more of an incentive just because people are worrying about what's happening on the West Coast and are nervous about this kind of recurring uh, at some point down the road. Actually, uh, I did see the Journal of Commerce did a survey of their readers uh, last week, and it's very clear that uh, 62% of the readers are very serious about uh, moving their uh, port activities to other than the West Coast. So this is going to, uh, this is the proverbial California shooting themselves in the foot Again, Yeah, and it's having a ripple effect through the whole transportation sector because rail and truck and all the others are trying to figure out how serious this movement is because it's one thing to unload your container ship at a different port, but if you don't have the cross-dock opportunities, if the trucking companies are not set up for it, if rail doesn't have equipment in the area, you have congestion anyway. So I know from some of the clients that we work with, they're you know, trying to hold people's feet to the fire, saying, okay, you say you're going to move this to Savannah. Are you serious, or are you just messing with us? Because if our trains are in Savannah and you decide to unload in Los Angeles, that's not going to help either one of us. And what about retail, Chris? I've heard some rumblings that some of the uh, retail reports coming out are going to speak to the fact that uh, they're off, and they're off because of the West Coast port situation. Is that what you're hearing as well? You know, a little bit of I think is connected to to the ports, but really what I'm seeing reacting as far as retail is concerned is that the consumer really hasn't gotten back in the game in the way that we had expected them to. Uh, The gas price advantage, people having more money to spend, has not turned out to be a consumer boost. It's been more interesting on the savings side. And in December, we saved at a 4.8% rate. In November, it was 4.3. Now we're looking at January, maybe even more robust even than December. So the consumer is being frugal, and this may be because of concerns. A lot of the polls are suggesting that people are just uneasy. They're worried about the winter. They're worried about what's happening in the Middle East. They're worrying about Russia. They're worrying about Europe. They're just worrying. And at this stage, that's making them less of a spendthrift and maybe good for their bottom line, but it sucks for the economy because we want people to spend like there's no tomorrow uh, and <laughs> stimulate all this stuff. We don't have much to worry about with regards to the winter. It just snows here two, three times a week in New York. <laughs> and has been since August. That is in there. That's about right. <laughs> well, in, in Dallas, yes, in, in yeah. Dallas, our snow and ice uh, has been here for three or four days, and we expect more snow tomorrow night, but it's more yeah, of a curiosity than a problem. Yeah, that was seeing snowmen on Huntington Beach. I mean, that's got to be a sign of of the Armageddon. So. <laughs> exactly. Let's go back into the oh, supply so. chain and take a look, uh, Brad. What what are new orders and production doing? You know, in in the face of all of this, it looks like it's good. Uh, give our listeners a, an update on that, if you would, please. Well, it, it's good, but not great. Uh, to Chris's point, and I've been reading the articles as well about consumers, you know, saving that extra money that uh, they're saving at the gas pump rather than spending it. And, of course, you know, manufacturing relies on, on consumer activity and consumer spending. That's where everything starts. Uh, and there may be several links in that chain from, from you know, retail to wholesale to manufacturing. Uh, but for the month of February, we've got 10 of our industries of our 18 reporting growth in new orders and four reporting a decrease in new orders and then four standing pat uh, from last month. And so uh, it's it's good, but not great. And 
this this whole system of manufacturing certainly relies first and foremost on new orders, both domestically and uh, from an export standpoint as well. And if we drop down to the export line, uh, exports have uh, contracted for the second consecutive months. We're down a point from last month now to 48.5. And I think the West Coast port situation has had something to do with that because if you're a, an international customer and uh, you know trying to think about placing orders, you, know, you might not get your orders because of the West Coast port situation, and so they're holding back to, to some degree. There's also a component of uh, the strong dollar that uh, would make our products more expensive uh, to our international customers. I think that factor is is real, but they'll adjust to it as, as they always do because uh, they like our products, they like our quality, our availability, and our innovation. But nevertheless, exports is down, and, and we certainly don't like to see that. And so if new orders are up, uh, is that does that also carry production up as they try to keep pace with new orders, Brad? Well, generally speaking, yes. You know, one uh, production follows uh, new orders, and... Uh, in the case of production, we're off 2.8 percentage points from last month to 53.7, still a, a nice level. Uh, but I think that has been impacted by the harsh weather conditions uh, in the Northeast where much of our manufacturing resides. And so production has kept up with new orders, but not quite kept up with the backlog of orders. So. If you drop down to that line in our report, the backlog jumped five and a half points to 51 and a half. So the backlog is growing, which in, in times when new orders are a little bit softer, that's a good thing, of course. But it does reflect that production was not able to, uh, to go at full speed. I think some you know, personnel were not able to report to work, certain plant closings, et cetera. Not a big effect but certainly uh, uh, some effect. You see the strong dollar. You know, one thing also to bear in mind is it affects competition internally as well because we were hearing a lot from manufacturers that they were seeing some reduction in their export demand, but more importantly, they were starting to see a lot more competition coming in from outside the country, taking advantage of the fact that they were able to sell their products even cheaper in the U.S. than they were before. And I think probably the most immediate impact of a stronger dollar is going to be that import pressure. Later in the year, I think we might start to see a little bit more pressure on the export side, particularly if interest rates go up and the dollar gains even more. So I don't think it's an immediate crisis. We're certainly not seeing the dollar at anything close to what it's been in the past, but we've been enjoying a nice little ride of a weak dollar or a relatively weak dollar for a while. And it's going to take us some adjusting to get used to not having it. What do you think the impact, Chris, is going to be on employment as we go through the year? Is it going to continue to remain strong or is it going to soften? You know, it's kind of hard to tell what's going to be taking place with employment because what we're starting to see now is more and more of the discouraged workers coming back into the workforce because now they anticipate more opportunity to get a job. So we're actually likely to see worse unemployment numbers, at least at the U3 level. We're going to start to see maybe even getting back up to 6 or over 6% because people who haven't been formally looking for jobs start to come back in. One of the more interesting changes as far as employment is that the quit rate is getting back to normal, which is the number of people who are willing just to quit their job and go out and find something new. And that was really, really low uh, during the recession and is now back up to around 4 or 5%. That tends to be the precursor to higher wages because once you start having people willing to quit, then their current boss, has to find a way to keep them, which is generally pay them more. And if they are going to leave for another job, they tend to leave for a job that pays more. So we're maybe seeing an end to this sort of wage stagnation 
won't be dramatic, but I think we saw it already this month that there was a, a slight increase in in wages that may continue through the next several months. What's the Brad does the ISM report show for February unemployment? Yeah, down a bit uh, from 54.1 last month, which is a really nice number, and we've been in that territory for a while, down to 51.4, so off 2.7 percentage points. And and I think that's that's somewhat significant because, you know, the employment number will, will be bolstered when our companies see uh, – a, a few months in advance of, of solid new orders. So that's something for us to, to continue to watch over the next couple of months, again, related to orders. If we see a, a horizon uh, planning process full of new orders, then the employment numbers will be higher. And you have on many occasions talked uh, to our listeners about the translation between your report and uh, GDP. Uh, can you share that with them again? Uh, yes, we work with um, we've worked with the Department of Commerce uh, over the years to do various correlations uh, with government uh, series, and we do correlate uh, in the case of employment with uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, series on manufacturing employment, and uh, we do that refresh on that every January. So this year, any number in our employment index above 50.6 will generally translate into good numbers uh, that come a a few days later, I think, towards the end of this week from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So the fact that we're above that number uh, should bode well for the numbers that we hear, I think, on Friday. Okay. Okay. And like to... I'd like to go back just for, to a point uh, a moment or so ago. We were talking about uh, gas prices, and I just double-checked while we're here online. And actually here in the Northeast, and I don't know if it's because of the winter and the snow and so on, but our gas, is, gas prices here have moved from about three weeks ago from about a dollar seventy-seven a gallon to $2.35 a gallon. Uh, that's pretty much a 20% increase in gas, which obviously is going to eat into the savings number and or the number that people are going to be willing and capable of spending. Uh, is anybody else seeing the same kind of uh, price differential? Because uh, I know we're all from different parts of the country. Yeah, I think it's pretty common throughout the country. But one of the things to bear in mind is is consumers tend to have a very short memory. And they are unlikely to remember what gas prices were, gee, all the way back in October and November when it was well over $3 a gallon. So they're still in a position to save a considerable amount of money and probably will. What you're mostly seeing in the in the gasoline sector is that the refineries have been able to kind of figure out what demand and supply is. Um, oil supply at the crude level is still way out of whack. The Russians are still uh, behaving in the in the market highly inappropriately, but they don't have a whole lot of choice. They need the money. The refineries, on the other hand, have kind of looked at this like, okay, this is how much we can sell. This is how much we're going to buy. Uh, we don't really care if there's extra crude floating out there. We're not going to buy it. And they're also starting to go into their conversions between winter and summer fuel. So, even back in the first part of January, you had a lot of people predicting that you'd see about a 30 to 40 cent increase in the price at the pump between now being early January and the first part of March into April, uh, kind of a traditional time of year when that starts to take place. The good news is unless we get something dramatic happening at the crude level, that may be the only real price bump we see this spring. Um at least there's nothing kind of normal that would be driving those prices higher. You also have a couple of extraneous factors that played into it just the last couple of weeks. You had a refinery fire in California that we have such a stretched and tight refinery system that any disaster in any refinery sends ripples through the whole system. Uh, so 
and it makes people nervous because they all know that their refineries are ancient, and if one breaks down, they're all like, oh, God, we're next. <laughs> so it makes people a little nervous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris, what's happening with uh, the, is it the offshore oil workers or the rig workers strike that's going on? Is What's happening there? Yeah, so far it's it's more of a symbolic strike than it is a national strike. It hasn't spread to all of the oil workers, and it is apparently a kind of part of a negotiating system in which it's kind of a shot across the bow, you know, that if this doesn't get solved, then more of us will go on strike. Globally, we're actually worried more about the Norwegian oil workers. They're talking about a mass strike, which would take, Norway, I think, is the fourth or fifth largest oil producer now in the world uh, out of the equation, which would actually have an impact on crude. The other real worry when it comes to production, uh, Charles Gray out of Colorado State has made his predictions for the hurricane season, and he's expecting it will be more active and that it will be more Gulf-oriented than it was last year if that plays out you could have lengthy shutdowns of oil platforms in the Gulf, and that always has an impact on on oil and gas prices. I always find it interesting that the world's expert on hurricanes is at Colorado State. Um, So (laughs) apparently he wants to be a long way away from them. (laughs) So, Brad, how are you seeing gas prices uh, down the Dallas area? Well, we dropped down to... You know, 179.9, as, as I recall, um, at the low point, and we're back up to in the area of 220. So directionally, we're seeing the same thing, maybe not quite to the to the same effect. Uh, you know, this being Texas, I think we get uh, the benefit of that. Uh, but as we look at prices overall through our ISM lens, prices of raw materials, we're still seeing this remarkably low index number of 35.0 same number as last month so no change there but it means that prices are decreasing decreasing at a a considerable rate and uh, decreasing now for four consecutive months and as uh, some of the details of that we list commodities uh, up and down in price and in short supply and there's a very short list of things up in price, uh, but a long list of commodities down in price, starting with, uh, you know, the oil specific, the diesels, the gasoline, the fuel oils, uh, and, and so on, and extending to plastic resins and all, all the, the various uh, flavors of, of those resins, as well as uh, the metals, which take a lot of energy to produce from steel uh, to aluminum uh, to nickel. So there's a long and continuing list of things down in price. And that's uh, good news for at least 17 of the 18 industries that that we follow. The, the one industry that's, that's not happy about it, of course, is petroleum and coal products, which we combine and represents about 10% of manufacturing GDP. Otherwise, it's a boon to the rest of our companies and industries in that, in two ways, uh, the prices of raw materials are down. Uh, that gives you uh, some margin uh, improvement opportunity. And secondly, it takes a lot of energy to run our plants, and uh, it will take uh, less, less of that, of course, with these kinds of prices. And you're also starting to see the companies actually being able to benefit from these lower prices because bear in mind, particularly in transportation, but amazingly enough in a lot of the manufacturers too, in order to protect themselves against high prices and and changing prices in the past, they did a lot of buying on the forward market, and those contracts didn't expire until towards the end of last year, the beginning of this year. So even as the prices were plummeting, Towards the end of last year, the airlines and the trucking companies and the like were still paying those old high prices because they had contracts. And as those contracts have expired and they have new ones in place, they're able to get the lower prices. So some of the advantages that we thought we'd see right away 
we may start seeing now more aggressively than we did last year because it's just now that they're able to, to reap that benefit. All right. We're going and to we, take we a have, quick... Go ahead. Sorry, Brad. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with Brad Holcomb, uh, committee chair with the ISM, and Dr. Chris Keel, who is our, our favorite economist. Uh, but we'll be back in just a few minutes with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Back, everyone. Welcome back, everyone, with uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio at mfgtalkradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mfgtalkradio. We're here discussing the uh, latest report on business with Brad Holcomb and the state of the economy with uh, Dr. Chris Keel. Um, Dr. Keel has been with the uh, Fabricators and Manufacturers Association international for the past eight years is their economy and uh, i think if i have the number right brad you've been with ism for the last uh, 14 or 15 years working in the uh, report on business uh, brad what's the state of supplier deliveries and inventories as we look at february yeah supplier deliveries is uh is up from last month uh, 1.4 percentage points to 54.3 which means that the deliveries of suppliers of raw materials to manufacturing has been slowing, and this month it's slowing faster than last month. And I think that some of that is attributable to our West Coast port situation once again, and is that uh, it's not an uncomfortably high level, uh, but uh, certainly slowing. Generally speaking, we like that in a in a fast-paced environment. It, it reflects tightness in the supply chain. I'm not sure exactly that's what it's trying to tell us this time. I think there are some, as I said, problems associated with the with the port situation there. Yeah, I would agree uh, that that's probably the case. Inventories? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of, of inventories, we report on on two kinds of inventories. One is raw materials, which is at fifty two and a half. Uh, up a point and a half from last month. So inventories are growing and growing faster than last month. And uh, that's in a nice range, anything plus or minus a couple of points from that uh, neutral 50 point is generally representative of good inventory management. And I think that's the case here. Although 
we are hearing uh, indirectly that some of our inventories at manufacturing don't contain all of the right things. And once again, that's attributable in part to the West Coast where we're getting uh, containers of parts to our factories out of order. And that drives manufacturing crazy when the, when the part numbers and uh, the lot numbers don't line up. So there, there's some of that uh, creeping into our inventory situation. The other inventory that we follow are inventories of, of finished goods, uh, customer inventories at 46 and a half. It's up four points from a very low number last month of 42.5. So customer inventories are judged as uh, continuing to be too low at a slower rate. And that's uh, good news because there's a propensity for customers then to uh, to restock the shelves, if you will, when the number gets below 50. Uh, excuse me a moment, uh, gentlemen. One of, one of us is listening to the show at the same time while we're talking, and we're getting a little bit of uh, engineering Back. So if you're listening and talking, turn off your uh, radio or uh, your uh, websites and just talk to us on the phone. Thanks. It wouldn't be me. I'm just on the phone. <laughs> me, me you're, too. Probably in, you're probably in Keokuk, Iowa, Chris. Actually, I'm in Kansas City, but, you know, I'm close. Uh, what are you hearing, Chris, out there in terms of uh, the, any of the manufacturers you are working with and the struggles and strains that they're having running their internal shops? Well, one of the interesting things, and, and a shout-out to the, the joys of the PMI system, because I work with an index called the Credit Managers Index, which, quite frankly, stole all the methodology that the PMI championed. <laughs> so <laughs> we, as credit managers the same kind of questions that they ask purchasing managers and the same basic format trying to find out very generically through questions regarding the credit managers world what's happening and two things really jumped out this particular month and it's something that we're trying to determine now whether it's an anomaly and if it's related to the winter in the ports or if it's something that is more endemic. We saw a real credit crisis begin to develop this month. The number of new applications for credit plunged by 10 points. The number of applications granted plunged by 10 points. Nothing else really changed. We still saw pretty ordinary data when it comes to things like disputes and accounts out for collection and bankruptcies and dollars exposed, but the availability of credit, trade credit, really started to dry up. The last time we saw this was in 2008 in kind of the run-up to the 2009 recession. So at the moment, I'm waiting with bated breath to see the next set of data uh, coming out in the next two or three weeks because that would tell me whether this is something that is just kind of a one-month reaction to stresses and strains in the economy or if there really is a serious uh, kind of retrenching as far as trade credit is concerned. Because if that stays in the in the tank like this, it's going to make it very difficult for companies to take advantage of these low prices for commodities and, and raw materials and even machines. So at the moment, that's the most worrying thing that I'm seeing. Beyond that, I think we're seeing, as, as Brad began his presentation, slow, kind of steady, not terribly inspiring growth, but compared to what the rest of the world is going through, we look like absolute champions. Well, well it was wonderful having you on. The, it was wonderful having you on, Chris, to give us all that good news. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have you on next quarter sometime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to uh, just build on what Chris was saying in terms of you know, manufacturing, especially in economies around the world, we see, you know, the China PMI up a little bit, but it's still below 51. We see the Eurozone, you know, in that same, in that same range. So nothing to write home about. And we continue to, to lead the way in manufacturing. And uh, I expect that to certainly continue into the far future. Uh, so we're good. January and February, but not great. 
I think that we're uh, operating in the uh, we would correlate with a three to three point one percent increase in real GDP at this level, and uh, I think things are are set up well for us to to continue and to increase the activity in manufacturing, all dependent upon uh, ultimately the consumer. And we're also seeing a lot of increase in foreign direct investment because we're now really the only market that matters. Uh, Germany has suddenly become the number two nation as far as FDI in the U.S., behind only Canada. And that's kind of an unusual place for them to be, but the Germans just aren't seeing an opportunity to make a lot of money in Europe. So they're coming over here and they're buying into existing companies. They're starting greenfield projects. They're kind of doing everything in their power in some ways to emulate what Japan did 10 years ago. And it's in the long run, I think that benefits the U.S. The British, when they did this kind of investment, tended to be asset strippers. The Germans tend to be in for the long haul. Well, being that we're talking about uh, foreign nations now, who likes Brazil? (laughs) (laughs) It's a great place. vacation, but I wouldn't want to do business there. Um, It is, they're on the verge of a really, really serious governmental crisis. And there are some really ugly rumors floating around as far as Brazil is concerned. There is no faith whatsoever that they're going to pull off the Olympic Games. And apparently London has already been approached about taking the Games away from Brazil because no one thinks they're going to be able to pull it off without losing the billions. The Rousseff government is in deep trouble and some concern that it might even collapse and have to force a new election. Inflation is very high. The drought is absolutely devastating in Brazil. Uh, They get most of their electric power from hydro and the reservoirs are way down. And Sao Paulo now was going through rolling brownouts. Now they're rolling blackouts. This is no longer the the gleaning country in Latin America to invest in. Several Latin American countries have surpassed them when it comes to potential. Mexico, one of them. Colombia is another. They're not as bad as Venezuela, but that's not saying much. Thanks, Chris. We just opened up a sales operation there about nine months ago. <laughs> well, it's a... You know, having having listened to that, it's a beautiful country, and you'd like to see the, their potential realized. The people are wonderful. The coffee is superb. Uh, the geography. Yeah, carnival. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I many mean, friends down there. The joke has always been, and it's and it's been, it almost had expired that Brazil is the country of the future and always will be. You know, it just. <laughs> Every time it, it gets a leg up, something happens. Either it's yeah. a self-inflicted wound by a government that doesn't quite grasp principles, or it's, in this case, it's Mother Nature. I mean, Brazil was doing relatively okay until the drought, but that devastated a lot of their export opportunity, has really made doing manufacturing challenging, particularly in Sao Paulo. And... It's not something they can't dig out of, but it it gets increasingly difficult, particularly given the fact that their most important market was Europe. I mean, they sold a lot to us, but they sold much more to Europe. And as the Europeans faded, it really took Brazil with them. Uh, Brad, on this report, which generally looks pretty strong and pretty good overall, Anything else that you want to share with our listeners on any particular section or sections of the report that uh, as we dive a little deeper into the ISM report each month, you uh, want to express here? Well, first of all, I agree with your, your comment that it's, um, you know, it's good, it's solid, it's, it's not great. Um, it's, it's well balanced in terms of all of the supporting indexes being about 50 as well. The, the the one thing that um, you know I, a couple of things that I'm looking at is again the export orders are down. Uh, we we hope that that uh, comes back quickly. Um, prices are way down and it's fine to stay there for a while, but not for extended periods. Um, uh, but imports, which we haven't touched on, and imports in our case is of raw materials. 
I think Chris alluded to this. Uh, it's it's at 54.0. It's at a good solid number, meaning that we're continuing to take advantage of uh, imports of, of raw materials for uh, feeding our manufacturing operations. So it's it's a good report. Uh, I think there's been some you know some concerns uh, and some issues, namely the West Coast port situation, but also the weather and just this. I think trying to get started once again in a new year after a pretty favorable year uh, last year has been uh, a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, I wanted to just kind of wrap back to this credit issue that you pointed out. Uh, help our listeners understand, did you say applications were down or is it the approval of credits down? I'm, I'm not sure I even both understand it. Yeah, both of them. Now, what we measure is trade credit. This is not credit given by banks or financial institutions. This is the kind of thing where you've gone to a machine tool maker and you're getting financing for that new machine you want to buy. And the credit manager of that organization is deciding how much credit they can give you. And you know, and then if you decide not to start paying them, then they're the ones that become Guido the theft. And one of the things that they we've noted, and it was very dramatic in this month, is that the number of applications for credit was way down, which is generally a signal that companies are not investing in, in new machinery or in plant expansion, at least for this month. And the part that was even more distressing is that of the applications that were being submitted, a lot of them were being turned down. And this would suggest that either the standards have gone up a bit, there's some anecdotal evidence that that's taking place, more likely, and again, this is more anecdotal than anything else, you're getting the better companies are not applying for credit. They're being more cautious. The ones who are applying for credit are not in the best financial shape and are hoping that they can get a company to sort of float them for a while. And the credit managers are looking at these guys saying, I'm sorry, I don't want to give you any credit. So the good companies aren't asking. The bad companies are asking and are being turned down. So what we're going to discover, hopefully, in the next month is either that this was kind of a one-month thing and will rebound, or we'll start to see some of the other factors also deteriorate. We'll start to see more disputes. We'll see more accounts out for collection. We'll see more dollars exposed, more customer deductions, that kind of stuff. Right now, those were down slightly, but not enough to really cause alarm. So, like I said, I'm going to be really anxious to see the next month's data to decide whether to move to Brazil or not. So. <laughs> well, to, to give you a little uh, insight uh, from uh, the playing field, uh, our our company, All Metals and Forge Group, uh, typically at the beginning of the year, around the 15th of January is when we finally sense that everyone's back to work, the holidays are over, everyone's uh, getting over what they spent on, on Christmas gifts and so on, and business starts uh, picking up and uh, new orders are starting to be placed. Uh, we didn't see that this year. Uh, it was a slow uh, grind. Uh, even through uh, February, we found that uh, machinery builders and fabricated metals really didn't start taking off until about a week ago. And uh -huh. we're now we're now beginning to see is creeping up and we're seeing more activity, uh more live inquiries coming into uh into the funnel. So uh it may just well be that uh you know the end of the year everyone had a pretty good year last year. There was a little bit of a slow start and then we got slammed with all the uh snowstorms throughout the whole country. Uh -huh. Um, but now we're beginning to see it uh, picking up. So uh, perhaps, uh, Brad, your March figures may be uh, looking better than uh, the February ones, which I already voiced to you I wasn't real happy with. <laughs> well, and I heard some of the same thing at the FMA meeting that just took place last week, that an awful lot of companies were saying, you know, we were really worried in January, and then all of a sudden things have begun to improve, not lights out improvement but 
people kind of getting over some of their initial concerns. And I have a suspicion that some of this may have just been reacting to sort of an onslaught of bad news at the first of the year, because whether it was geopolitics or what was happening with the port site, it just suddenly people were in general nervous. All of the polls that you were seeing politically basically indicated that people were feeling as uneasy as they felt at 9-11. I mean, it's just there was this kind of sense of impending doom because everything you picked up, you know, it was ISIS, it was Ukraine, it was this, it was that, and, and everything now is kind of blown out of proportion anyway. And I think it made people uneasy. And now I think we're relaxing and it's not going to be too many weeks before there's grass to mow, so everything is right. <laughs> so you think we have some political issues to be worried about, eh? Yeah, I mean, you know, just a few. Uh, every so often, it's, it's, as you would know, I started out as a Soviet and East European specialist, and, and then they had the poor taste to go out of business, and I didn't know what to do with myself. But I'm now confident that the Cold War is back, and I'm relevant again. <laughs> hey, that's, that's the good news, Chris. Thank you. Outstanding. Well, I'll, I'll share one one comment from uh, from our panel uh, from the fabricated metal products to make you happy, uh, and that simply says business is steady to slightly up. And uh, Ooh, I'd also like good. to uh, in, in, invite uh, invite our listeners to tune in tomorrow when my colleague Tony Nieves reports on the non manufacturing sector which actually is about 90% of, of the economy, uh, 88% or so, actually. And so that's very important, and that will be released at uh, 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time tomorrow. You want to Good give us that uh, address where they can get that information, Brad? Yes, the website for ISM is www.ism.ws. And Chris, what uh, just because I'm curious, uh, we've mentioned China and we've mentioned Russia. Um, what's the concern with Russia? Just their uh, their foray into uh, uh, Ukraine, or they're they're selling oil or dumping oil, however they can to get cash. What, what are the concerns with Russia around the world? Yeah, and all of the above. Um, the big problem with Russia right now is their economy is collapsing, and this makes them very dangerous. I mean. They're looking at 17% inflation at this point. Uh, the oil price drop has basically gutted the economy. The reason we have a glut of oil is the Russians are selling it at whatever price they can get because they need the cash flow. The society is back to where it was 20 years ago, people standing in line, hoping to God that there's something at the other end to buy. The unemployment rate is rising. Frustration is is at epic proportion. And then on top of all this, you have a very high-profile assassination which prompted 50,000 people to turn out in the middle of Moscow to protest it. And the threat that Boris Nemtsov presented was that he was connecting all of the problems the average Russian is facing to the Ukraine adventure. And he was basically drawing parallels saying, if you can't get food and if you can't get fuel and if you're freezing to death in your apartment, it's because Vladimir wants to conquer Ukraine. And the average person is like, why? Why Why are we doing this? So it's, it's getting really ugly. And you have in Putin an autocrat that is every bit the autocrat that the old Communist Party leaders were. And it has people worried because he's unpredictable. And at this stage, just don't know. I mean, a full-blown invasion of Ukraine, what are we going to do about it? You know, It's just the ruble has lost 70% of its value in four months. So it's not a good time there. I have friends in Russia who are they've not seen this kind of anger and ferment in 20 years. And what uh, about Japan? Is that economy coming back, or is it still kind of stuck in the doldrums? Well, it's kind of coming back. It's not. It never actually went completely away. I mean, people keep forgetting that Japan's the third largest economy in the world, so it's not like it vanished. It's 
still dealing with deflation. The biggest problem that Japan has is that, unlike the United States, you can't get the consumer to spend. I mean, Americans are not by nature savers. Japanese are. And that makes it a little difficult to stimulate your way out of an economic downturn. The biggest problem for Japan is that its companies have done very well, mostly by moving out of Japan. (laughs) So they've (laughs) left and, and gone to exploit other markets. But Japan still has a relatively low unemployment rate. It still has you know, decent GDP growth lately. Uh, the last couple of quarters is finally in the positive territory. But it's also not poised to make any great breakthroughs because it's almost entirely dependent on exports. And as long as Europe is in the doldrums and the U.S. is growing slowly, Japan has a limited number of people it can sell to. And in terms of uh, something near and dear to our hearts and uh, people moving out to do better, how's California doing? Well, California is doing much better than it has. Um, you know, it's one of the states now that's in growth mode. There are a number of critics who have looked at this and say this is smoke and mirrors. They're not going to be able to keep this up. But what people often forget, and I constantly remind them in my presentations, is how blasted big this country really is. California has an economy the size of France. So you're talking about a country-sized state. One of the other interesting comparisons, Chris Christie and Vladimir Putin control the same size GDP. New Jersey and Russia have the same GDP. <laughs> so it's, when you start to put some of this in perspective, it's like I keep waiting for Christie to take his cue from Putin and take Long Island. But it's... <laughs> California can be succeeding and failing at the same time, depending on where in California you are. Well, Brad, it looks like uh, things are positioned well for the first two months of the year, and one of the things that we always emphasize, as you do, is that this this report really is a roll-up. We often hear people say, oh, the number went down. No, the number just didn't roll up as high as the previous month. (laughs) So it looks like the report's positioned well for the first couple of months going into March. Is that right? Well, exactly, and also I'd like to point out that uh, manufacturing has been growing for 26 consecutive months. New orders has been growing for 27 consecutive months, uh, and so on. So we're positioned well uh, for a continuation of growth and uh, hopefully at a higher level as we go forward in 2015. Yeah, I I mean, if you look at the U.S. GDP growth, we were kind of disappointed that it went from 2.6 to 2% in the fourth quarter. But just to put things in perspective, Europe was ecstatic because they had made it to (laughs) 0.3. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, we're about to ready to wrap up the show, and I just want to mention that uh, in about 90 minutes, uh, for those of you who didn't get a chance to listen to the entire show, that uh, we will have the show on uh, on our podcast at mfgtalkradio.com. You can listen to the entire show there. And uh, we will have next week uh, the uh special on uh, 30 Under 30 from ThomasNet, the winners of the their, their millennial uh, winners. And uh, we're down to about a minute. And Tim, I'd uh, like to say thank you for today. And uh, Brad and Chris, it's always a pleasure. And uh, we look forward to having you both back on the show uh, in the future. And Tim? Yes, Brad. Thanks for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. And and Chris, uh, it was good to collaborate with you on this show. I I agree. I had a lot of fun, and it's always nice to be talking to the person who hatched the system that I use. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we, we we gave it away freely. Yeah, we I know, and we're so grateful. <laughs> Particularly me, I would have had to invent something otherwise. So, thanks. Very good. All right. Well, Take care, we look, everyone. We look forward to all you uh, being back on the show in a couple of weeks. That's it for Manufacturing Talk Radio today. We'll be back next Tuesday with the voice of manufacturing globally. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast 
each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.